Our scripture reading is in the book of Jude this morning. The book of Jude. You can find Jude on page 10,027, or 1,027. We're going to read verses 17 through 25 in Jude this morning. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passion. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as we read these words. We are reminded that we live in a world that is cursed by sin. We live in a world that is full of human beings who have turned their hearts away from you and have rebelled against you as their maker and as their Lord and as their redeemer. We pray, God, as as Kevin comes to preach this text this morning, that your words would speak clearly to us, that you would convince us more strongly of our need to remain faithful in, in our culture, in our society, and in our world, that you would give us grace to be light in the darkness for your glory and for the sake of those whom you have to call to yourself. We ask that you would give power to Kevin this morning. That you would move him out of the way and that your words would speak and convict and compel and encourage your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. We're at the end of uh, 2018. Hard to believe, isn't it? Is it me or has this just been a crazy year? As we come to the end of 2018, you may see news stories or TV programs about the the year in review. Um, I suspect picking the top news stories in 2018 maybe is a little harder than it is in some other years, but I'm guessing in every one of those year in review stories that one of the the top news stories of the year is going to be the nomination of Justice Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And thank you for not groaning, I appreciate that. (laughs) The nomination of Justice Kavanaugh, and uh, which which apparently was also, it's it's right that it's a top story, because apparently the way it was covered in the media, it was also the the battle for the survival of the human civilization. So thankfully we survived that. And regardless of what you think about what happened in that and whether we ended up in the right place there or not, the, the opposition to the candidate, before all the accusations started flying, was based on the fact that his judicial record showed that he was a conservative judge. 
and thus would be a conservative justice. And as much as that has been politicized, and even now the Supreme Court has been politicized, it might surprise you to find out that being a conservative justice versus a liberal justice has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with interpretation. Specifically, how these justices interpret the Constitution. And I've talked with a few people in here, um, James and others, that can probably explain this better than I can. But when I've studied this, my understanding of it is this. Uh, the difference between conservative interpretation and liberal interpretation, and I think we've, I've got a slide on this. The, the, the conservative sees the Constitution as a fixed document that doesn't change. The, the liberal judge sees the document as a flexible document that can be improved. The, the conservative sees the Constitution as something that we should view objectively, literally, just the facts. It says what it says, and that's all that it says. The, the liberal interpretation would say, no, it's, it's subjective, right? It's based on the case we're talking about. It's based on many other factors. The conservative view would say, no, the Constitution is settled. Right? I'm not to add anything to it, take anything away from it. The, the liberal view would say, no, everything's up for interpretation. And, and finally, the conservative view says, no, we, sh we need to seek the author's original intent. Right, what did the original writers of the Constitution and the amendments mean when they wrote the Constitution? That's what we're searching for, the original intent. The liberal view says, no, what's relevant is the the context of current times, right? We're not in the 1700s anymore, right? We need to reinterpret it based on what it means in 2018. And so you can see, this is how, you know, when you start with different rules of interpretation, this is how the same justices can look at the same case and end up in very different places. Now, I don't know where you land on, on which side of this you land. I don't see anything in the scriptures that says the way you interpret the Constitution is a life or death, heaven or hell, eternal consequence matter. But, but why this is relevant is this way of thinking, this type of conversation, this type of debate about interpretation has found its way into the church. And while interpreting the Constitution is not a life or death, heaven or hell matter, how you interpret the scriptures is. And how are we to rightly interpret the scriptures? This is very relevant to where we're going to be in Jude this morning. Are the scriptures fixed or are they flexible? Are we to read them objectively, literally, or subjectively, based on our own understanding? Are they settled? Are they up for interpretation? Do we seek to find God's original intent, who is the author, through many human writers, right? Or, or do we reinterpret it based on what's acceptable in culture, what's acceptable socially, what's more acceptable to my own kind of human sensibilities? In case you're wondering where uh, Gray Road, if, you've not, if you're new to Gray Road and you're wondering where we fit on this continuum, let me read you an excerpt from our statement of faith that might help you out. <clears throat> from our statement of faith about the scriptures, the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Want to take a guess which side we end up on here? The scriptures are fixed. The scriptures are settled. We seek to understand God's intent, not what it means to me. This isn't just a guess that we're making on how to rightly interpret the scriptures. The scriptures themselves tell us how to interpret them. Just a few of many dozens of verses we could put up here. Jeremiah 6, 16, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. I love that. Where the good way is and walk in it. 
Truth does not have an expiration date. Jesus himself said to the Jews who believed in him in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, my words are not going to change. Abide in my words. These are eternal truths that we need to hold on to. And then finally, as we come back to Jude, remember where we started in, in the third verse of Jude, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Not once for then, not once for a while. Once for all is once for all time. These truths do not change. They do not expire. They are eternal truths. And I think that's a great place for us to start as we head into Jude. And, and can we pray as we begin? God, we're grateful for your word. I pray that your word will be clear to us this morning that it will challenge us, that it will change us, that it will encourage us, that it will convict us, that it will strengthen us. I ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this has been an interesting uh, couple of weeks uh, for us uh, with, uh, with Toby and his family. In that um, when, when Susan got injured, uh, Toby... Uh, immediately contacted the elders and said, I don't know what the next couple of weeks look like, but I'm going to need help. And uh, in case uh, if you were wondering, if you went through the whole process that we went through over the last several years to, to move to an elder deacon model, because that's the biblical model, uh, the last couple of weeks are exactly why uh, that's useful and helpful. Um, because we've been able to come alongside Toby and help him. And, and last week, uh, actually, uh, Chad was supposed to speak this week, but uh, he moved up to last week. And then the commissioning service was supposed to be last week, but it got moved back to this week. And then Chad was going to speak this week, and I, and I volunteered to, to preach this week because I was off work, and, uh, and we figured Chad needs at least one day off per year. Uh, that's, that's just the kind of church we are. So, um, so I volunteered to speak this week. And, and Toby gave me the option, hey, you can, you can speak something one-off. You can um, speak something specific to the commissioning, or you can just stay in the book of Jude where we've been. And uh, my conviction was, I think we just need to stay where we've been, because um, when you just take the next passage in, in the book, um, you're, you're guarding yourself from your own agenda, right? I don't want to have my own agenda. We don't want to have our own agenda. That's why we teach through books. We kind of have to take what we're given. And it, and it makes you trust that, that where God has put us in this text is what the church needs to hear. And, and, I, and I firmly believe that if we just stuck to the text and trusted in God, that it would be applicable to the church and it would be applicable to the commissioning service this morning. And it shouldn't surprise you that if I could have handpicked a text for this morning, I couldn't have done any better than Jude 20, or 17 to 25. And so I'm grateful for the Lord's faithfulness in this. And, and, and I'll be speaking to the church, but <clears throat> I think you'll see this is very relevant uh, to the family that we're sending out today, uh, which will heretofore be known as the family of whose name we do not speak. <laughs> and uh, you know why, right? We need to be careful about that. <clears throat> but um, but be, be encouraged by this. Be challenged by this. Be comforted by this. Be strengthened by this. And know that we are, we are with you. If you remember where we started in the book of Jude, um, Toby opened with this, this uh, statement that the greatest, or he asked us the question, what's the greatest danger to the church? Is it, is it the, the government? Is it taxation? Is it persecution? Any of you remember what the greatest danger is to the church? You can just shout it out. False teaching. False teaching. See, Toby, be, be encouraged. <laughs> yes. Five people were listening. <clears throat> False teaching, right? The, listen, this is, this is important. The, the church will not crumble from without, right? The, the gates of hell won't even, won't even prevail against the church. If the church is going to fall apart, it's going to fall apart from within, right? And we need to be, we need to be diligent in, in defending and contending for the faith. 
And, and uh, Paul, it says this many times, you look at the, the, the tenor of the New Testament, we see this over and over and over. The apostles weren't worried about the, the pressures from without. They were worried about distortion from within. Uh, the apostle Paul in Acts 20 Nearing his departure, said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. The wolves were going to come in in sheep's clothing, right, and devour the flock. Jesus used the example of the wheat and the tares, right? The wheat and the tares are intermingled together and they even look alike. Right? But if you don't go and tear out the tares, right, it's going to choke out the wheat. Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. There's some branches that don't bear fruit, and if you don't tear them out, they're going to choke out the vine. Right? The, the danger from the apostles and from Jesus' teaching is it's always going to be from within. That's what we really need to worry about because, because the, the outside pressures will never destroy the church. It will only be destroyed from the inside. And this is what Jude is reminding us of and pointing us to. And, and I don't know if you've thought this the last couple of weeks. I mean, I think we can see where, where the church in general is in danger in terms of false teaching and false doctrine. When we see the direction what the things are going in the, in the broader church and with the modern gospel and things like this. But have you had the thought, you know, is, is this really a concern for Gray Road? I mean, come on. I mean, we're... We're a pretty solid group here, right? Is this really a danger for us? Listen, the, the apostles would say this. This is only a danger when there are people involved. <laughs> and, and you hear Toby say every week, that this is the gathering of Gray Road Baptist Church. We're not a building. We're not an organization. We're simply people, right? And if we're going to contend for the faith as a church... We have to contend for the faith in our own heart and mind because that's all we are. We're just a group of people. We're just a group of families. We are to be contending for the faith first in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own families so that we can contend for the faith as a church. So, so don't leave this at arm's length. Uh, Jude is going to get personal here, and we need to, to do that ourselves, all right? The main idea for this morning is this statement, to contend for the faith, we must hold fast to the eternal truth we have been taught and also hold fast to the eternal hope we have been promised. Man, that could be your mission statement. What are they getting ready to do? They're getting ready to go contend for the faith. If you're going to contend for the faith, you're going to have to hold fast to the truths that you've been taught and you're going to have to hold fast to the promise that you've been given. We all need to do that. Um, before we get into uh, verse 17 here, there's, there's something a little bit different about the way we're going to tackle this this morning. I don't want you to be surprised by this or confused by it. We're going to refer back to 2 Peter chapter 3 several times this morning. And, and the reason for that is that Jude, these verses in Jude 17 and 2 Peter 3 are, are inseparable. It appears that Jude is actually referring to these verses as he quotes these things in these few verses. And so 2 Peter 3 actually gives us some, some really valuable context and insight as to what Jude is referring to. So we'll go back there several times um, as it is useful to us. So, so don't be surprised by that. We're actually kind of getting two, two passages for the price of one this morning. So Merry Christmas. So turn to Jude, if you haven't already, if you're still there. <clears throat> you might notice, if you've been paying attention the last several weeks, that there's a change in tone when we get to verse 17. Remember, it started with this warm tone at the beginning, to those who are called, beloved in, in God, the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplying to you. Beloved, I was, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, which that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he goes into this kind of attack mode, right? Going after the false teachers. He had to deal with the false teachers. And in verse 17 here, he comes back to beloved. He's coming back to the, to the faithful people. In verse 17 and verse 20, beloved. He comes back to the positive aspects of contending for the faith. I think it's useful for us that there, in contending for the faith, it's just like the Christian life. There are negative aspects 
that we have to be against, but there are positive aspects that we need to be for, right? And, and may, may our church never be known only what we're against, for what we're against, right? Our church should be known for what we are for, right? And even though we are contending for the faith and standing for those things that are right, we are doing so with grace and mercy and understanding and compassion, right? And so there's both sides of this, and we're coming back to the positive side here in uh, verses 17 to 25. And the first thing that we are going to see here, and, and it's an interesting text in that it, it's almost like a sandwich where, where you've got um, two, two aspects on the outside with the core, the meat in the middle. Uh, the, the remembering what we've been taught and then remembering what we've been promised. And then in the middle is, this, is the meat of it, contend for the faith, which we'll come back to at the end. So the first thing, remember what you, the truth you have been taught in verses 17 to 19. Let me just read those again. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And, and the, the word there, uh, predictions, is an interesting word. And, and it means something different maybe than, than we would think when we think of predictions. It's not talking about predicting the future, things like that. The, the literal word there is words spoken beforehand. He's simply reminding them, remember the things that you have been taught. And, and, and the way he uses it here, taught more than once. Remember the apostles' teaching. And this is where um, 2 Peter 3 gives us some really interesting context and useful context. He's referring to, to Peter, and you'll see the similarity in these passages. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, and this should sound familiar, that you should remember the predictions, but he says something different, of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And that word scoffers is only used two times in the New Testament, in Jude and in 2 Peter 3. These, these passages are inseparable, and it's this useful context that when he's talking about the teachings of the apostles, and when you follow the teachings of the apostles through the New Testament, it wasn't just their own writings. It wasn't just their own teachings. They were, they were based in expounding on the prophets in the Old Testament, and they were, their foundation was the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? And so you kind of have this three-legged stool when you're talking about contending for the faith, these core doctrines. You have the apostles' teaching, you have the holy prophets in the Old Testament, and you have the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? And, and we see that several places in the New Testament, most clearly in Ephesians 2, when it says this, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. So when he says, remember the apostles' teachings, he's saying, remember what they've taught you, the foundational teachings of Jesus Christ, right, which fulfilled the teachings of the Old Testament, right, and then you have the apostles' teachings, which are expounding on top of that, and the apostles are those that Jesus himself personally authorized to teach. And so that is the foundation that we need to remember. Those are the eternal truths that we need to hold fast to. Remember the apostles' teaching. The other word that's interesting there that's worth digging into a little bit is that word remember. I think you probably understand here this isn't simply a memorization exercise. Uh, the word, whenever it says remember in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, it's always remembering uh, for the purpose of invoking action. And it's not that different from the way we use the word when we think about um, major events that have happened in, in our history. You've ever heard the phrase, remember the Alamo, right? Remember, in the Spanish-American War, it was remember the Maine. In World War II, it was remember Pearl Harbor, right? And when they were saying that in World War II, remember Pearl Harbor, they weren't saying, you know, tie a string around your finger and every time you remember Pearl Harbor, you know, have a moment of silence. Now, that was a call to action. That was a rallying cry. Remember these things, right, and let's get to work. Remember these things, and let's, let's go fight the battle. When, when Jude is saying remember here, he's not just saying tie a string around your finger and remember the teachings of the apostles. He's saying remember these things so that you can contend for the faith. Remember what Toby taught us, contending here is a, is a battle picture or, or an athletic picture of getting into the fight, getting into the race. 
And so remember here is a rallying cry, right? Remember these things so that you'll have a firm foundation to contend in the faith. And then he, he, he highlights a, a particular warning or teaching that the apostles had given them. Beware the scoffers. And these are the ones that, that Jude has already been talking about in the previous verses. He, he says in verse 16, these are grumber, grumblers and malcontents following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters who are trying to attract followers. And um, this is, again, where where Second Peter is, is helpful, and it tells a little bit about what they were scoffing about. And it says this in Second Peter 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Here's what's happening here in Jude, and what's happening often in uh, the New Testament. You, you might know that in the first century, their, their, um, their, their way of teaching and disseminating information was really based on rabbis and teachers or, or in the Greek system, philosophers. And so these guys would raise themselves up as teachers and, and would try to gain disciples and followers, right, to, to increase their, their standing, to increase their influence, to increase their respect. And so whenever you'd have a, a popular teacher, he would often get attacked by the other rabbis, right, to, to steal away their, you know, to kind of undermine their authority and steal away their followers. And that was really what was happening in the early church. The apostles, you know, are, are getting all this respect, right, and, and other teachers in the church, these false teachers, are trying to undermine the apostles' authority to draw them away. They're trying to undermine even Jesus' authority. And they're saying, hey, apostles, you're saying Jesus is returning. Well, where is he? Is, is he even the Messiah? He said he's coming back. Where is he? Things, things keep going the way they've always been. Where is this Jesus? And, and they're trying to undermine the authority of the, the apostles and of Jesus Christ himself. But, but Jude says something very interesting here. He identifies the real motive the real motive here isn't an intellectual debate. The motive here isn't a desire for truth. The motive here is their own sinful desires. What they're really trying to do is justify their own sinful behavior. Remember back in verse 4 when it says they are, they are distorting the grace of God, right, to, to, to justify their own sinful actions, right? And so that's useful for us. The scoffing here is not an intellectual debate. It's not a desire to find truth. No, it's, it's simply they want to be able to justify their own sinful desires, which are probably reflected in their teaching. And so to do that, they've got to undermine you know, the apostles, and they've got to undermine Jesus' teaching. And then he goes further, and he says what the real motivation is, is they're trying to bring division into the church. And this is really important for us to understand. They're trying to bring division into the church. That's the real motivation. And, and there's, there's two types of division that were happening in the early church that are still relevant to us today. Um, the one way they would divide is what we've been talking about. They would, they would try to divide the congregation against each other. They would undermine the, the apostles' teaching and, and create doubt in the conversation. And, and then it's kind of divide and conquer. You pit one group against the other, and now you become the influencer of this group. And they, so they divide it, and I can think of that as more of a horizontal dividing, just dividing the flock so that you can have influence over one group. The other way they were dividing, it appears, is that they were dividing more vertically. They were creating distinctions in the church. Kind of a, and you see this when they were talking about they, they relied on dreams and visions, claimed they'd had dreams and visions, that, that they were the enlightened ones. There was a higher class of Christians based on their knowledge, their intellect, their enlightenment, their gifts, um, their experiences. So there's a first-class Christian, and then there's a, a lower-class Christian, right? And they were creating distinctions or divisions within the church that way as well. And, and here's what's really important about this. When, when Jude is talking about division in the church, he ties it directly to the Holy Spirit. He says... These who cause divisions, worldly people, they were devoid of the Spirit, which, which probably means that they were actually talking about the Spirit to, to, to um, kind of back up their own arguments. Uh, they were saying, it's, it's, it's of the Spirit that I'm seeing these visions and, and dreams. And Jude is saying, uh-uh, 
No, if, if this is creating division, it's not of the Spirit. Man, that is something really important for us to remember. If, if your teaching brings division, if your teaching brings confusion, it is not of the Holy Spirit because the, the New Testament is clear. The Holy Spirit brings unity. The Holy Spirit brings clarity, not division, not confusion, right? And it's, it's ironic that even in the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we see this, right? If your teaching of the Holy Spirit divides the church into classes of, of higher-level Christians that have experienced certain things and have certain gifts and lower-level Christians, right? If it creates divisions and your teaching about the gifts creates confusion, you, you probably need to re-examine your teaching because the Spirit brings unity. The Spirit brings clarity. Right? And, and that's a good reality check for all of us, right? Man, if, if I'm teaching or I'm having a conversation with somebody in the church, right, if, if I'm bringing division, if I'm bringing confusion, right, then my actions are not of the Spirit. Because the Spirit brings unity, the Spirit brings clarity. And so it's important that we see that. The scoffers, their motivation was division, and, and Jude was telling the church, we've got to be vigilant against this. Uh, the, the, the final thing I'll say on scoffing I think that is really relevant to, to all of us and to me personally is, again, sometimes I think we read these things and we think the scoffers are out there, right? And maybe the scoffers are in the church, but the, it's, it's something that's, that's out there when in reality, the first scoffer we have to deal with right, is the one in the mirror, the first scoffer we have to deal with is the one inside of us, in our own flesh, in our own heart, in our own mind. And this scoffer shows up when you're, when you're up against a, a difficult decision or when you're in a difficult situation or you're going through a difficult trial or you have, uh, somebody has wronged you and you're dealing with something difficult with another person. Right? And, and, and you know what to do. You know what the scripture says, maybe other people are counseling you what the scripture says, but the spirit of the scoffer shows up when, when this fateful phrase rattles in your mind or this fateful phrase comes out of your mouth, I know the Bible says that, what's the, what's the next word? But, man, what a powerful three-letter word. Man, the spirit of the scoffer says, <clears throat> we're back to conservative versus liberal interpretation, right? The spirit of the scoffer says, I, I, know, I know what the Bible says, but you, know, you don't know my situation. I'm going to reinterpret it based on my situation. I know the Bible says that, but man, you don't know what they did to me. I know the Bible says that, but I mean, you really expect me to take that literally? I mean, we're in 2018 for crying out loud. I know the Bible says that, that I should forgive that person as Christ has forgiven me, but man, you just don't know what they did to me. I know the Bible says that God has given me everything I need for life and godliness and I should be content in Christ, but I don't believe that. I'm going to give in to this temptation or this, I'm going to try to satisfy myself with something else. The spirit of the scoffer, man, starts in each and every one of our hearts and minds if we are not walking in the spirit. And that's the first scoffer we need to deal with because that's the scoffer we bring into this building every Sunday. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to help each other in that. Beware the scoffer. The second thing we see is not only looking back, but looking forward. <clears throat> you see this often in Scripture where there's, there's three perspectives, right? We, we need to... to Hold fast to the truths that we've been taught. We need to hold fast to the promises we have been given, right? There's, that's the sandwich, right? And then, and then we'll get to in the, hold fast to the past, hold fast to the future, and then now contend for the faith in the present. And so looking forward to what has been promised, uh, verse, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then down to this great doxology at the end, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
To the only God, our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And it starts with this, this phrase, waiting for the mercy of our Lord. What, what does that mean? And this is where, again, 2 Peter 3 gives us some very useful context here because, remember, the scoffers were saying, where's, where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come back? And, and Peter says some very interesting words here, uh, starting in, in verse 8. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and the thousand years is as one day. By the way, that's not talking about creation or the millennium. It's talking about how, how God is not confined to time and space like we are. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's telling these scoffers, man, you shouldn't be scoffing about that. You should be grateful that God hasn't poured out his judgment on you yet. God is being patient. This is an act of mercy that he hasn't come back yet. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The final judgment is coming, but Jude is, is reminding us, this is somewhat of a unique reminder from Jude here, that final judgment for the world is final mercy for us. Judgment is coming, and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on all sin, including my sin, including your sin. But because of the mercy through Jesus Christ, that judgment is poured on him and not on me. Final judgment is final mercy. Right? And we need to hold on to that. We need to hold on to both of those, right? Final judgment is coming. That should give urgency to our ministry and evangelism. But final mercy is coming. That is our hope that we hold on to in Jesus Christ. The second thing we see here clearly, I think, in these verses is that we need to keep an eternal perspective. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then in verse 24, it speaks of being presented blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Speaking on the last day, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we, in all of our weakness, in all of our failing, in all of our sin, will be presented blameless in that, in that last day because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And then finally, it, it reminds us that God is before all time, now and forever. God is not confined to time and space. And, and, and Jude is reminding us that we need to have an eternal view of our salvation. We need to have God's view of our salvation, a divine view of salvation, and not our limited human view of salvation. Because, because our, our view of salvation is very um, time-constrained, right? I was born, I lived for a while, and then I was saved, right? I, I turned from my sin, I turned from myself, and I turned to the, to the Savior, and I believed in Jesus Christ for my salvation, right? And I was saved, and that's when my salvation began, and then from that point on, from that point in time forward, right, I've been, I've been living the Christian life. I've been persevering uh, to the point that that's, you know, I die, and under the mercy of Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. And, and yet, when the, when the, and that's, that's a very natural human perspective from our human limitations of time and space, right? But when the Scripture talks about salvation from God's perspective, it doesn't talk about it in the context of time. It talks about it in the context of eternity, right? We started there, that we've been called. Right? Before the foundation of the world. My salvation didn't start the day I was saved. Right? I was loved and known by God before the foundation of the world and eternity passed. And that salvation will continue into eternity future. I need to have an eternal view of my salvation, not a human view that is limited to this life. And listen, that, he's writing to people who are in the midst of persecution. Right? This should be a, the greatest encouragement that you just didn't stumble into this. You guys didn't just stumble into this journey that you're on. Your journey did not start two years ago when you decided to go. Your journey did not start those years ago when you became a Christian. You were known and loved by God before the foundation of the world. Be encouraged by that when you're going through trials. 
when you're stuck in the day-to-day grind of ministry. This is an eternal work that God is doing, and he was the author of it, so he is going to finish it. Keep an eternal perspective is what Jude would tell us. Remember what Paul said uh, when he was going through all these persecutions? Paul went through more persecution and trials and, and pain and suffering than all of us combined, I'm pretty sure. And he says, these are, these, are, these are momentary light afflictions in the light of eternity. Keep an eternal perspective if you're going to contend for the faith. Hold fast to the eternal promises we have been given. And then finally, holding fast to what we've learned, holding fast to what we've been promised, uh, we come to the core of this contend for the faith in verse 20 to 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You see, what Jude is telling us here is if we're going to contend for the faith, there's a, there's a contending for the faith that we do as a church. But again, there's... There's a contending for the faith that we do in our own hearts and minds, and it gets personal here. And he's saying, contend for the faith yourself. This isn't just being written to the elders or the leaders. Contend for the faith yourself, but there's, there's two very important things that we see in this. We're contending for the faith ourself, but it's not by yourself. All these words and commands that he's giving are in the context of the church. If you're going to contend for the faith, it's not by yourself. It's in, the, it's, it's in connection. It's being connected to the church. When it says building yourselves up, whenever you see the word building in the New Testament, it's, it's talking about the church. Either the church, the body of Christ is the building or building yourself up. It's always talking about the church. This assumes community. This assumes accountability. All of these commands, it's not build yourself it's build yourselves. It's not keep yourself, it's keep yourselves. There's an assumption of community here that you were never meant to do it by yourself. It's connected to the church. Secondly, we see it's connected to the spirit. And it's an interesting phrase here when it says building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the spirit. The spirit really uh, speaks to that whole Chapter. If you're gonna if you're gonna build yourself up in the faith, it's gonna be through the Spirit. If you're gonna be building, or if you're gonna be praying, you need to pray in the Spirit. If you're gonna do any of this, it's got to be through the Holy Spirit. Jude's message is not contend for the faith by trying harder. He says if you're gonna contend for the faith, it's gonna be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Build yourselves up in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit so that then you can keep yourselves in the love of God, which is the third one. It's going to be connected to the church, it's going to be connected to the Spirit, and it's going to be connected to Jesus. And, and I grew in this one a little bit throughout the week in that it says keep yourselves in the love of God, and, and I was going to say it was connected to the love of God, but the more I studied that, every time the love of God is used in the New Testament, it's connected to Jesus. Our only conduit to the love of God is through Jesus. I saw that over and over and over. Uh, 1 John 2 is a good example of this. Uh, Verses 4 through 6. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Jesus himself in John 15 says, abide in my love. How do you do that? By keeping my commandments and following my example as I abide in the love of my Father. If we're going to contend to the faith, it's got to be connected to Jesus. I know, I know it's ex- more acceptable in our culture to talk about God in general. Uh, the, the conversation usually changes when you, when you, when you talk about Jesus. But, but the world needs... T- the world doesn't need to hear more about God. The world needs to hear more about Jesus. He's the only way to be connected to the love of God. 
Man, don't ignore the Gospels when you read your scriptures. And there's, there is something special and something powerful about reading the words of Jesus. There's something special and something powerful about, about seeing the example of Jesus, seeing the supernatural power of Jesus, being reminded again of his suffering, of his death, of his resurrection. Man, I know there's a song that says there's power in the name of Jesus, but Jesus is more than a mantra. There's power in the words of Jesus. There's power in the example of Jesus. There's power in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. There's power in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We must stay connected to that. Man, commit yourself in 2019 that whatever else you're reading in the scripture, stay connected to, to Jesus in the Gospels. It's not by yourself. It's connected to the church. It's connected to the spirit. It's connected to Jesus. And then finally, it's not, it's, you're contending for yourself, but not just for yourself. We're also contending for others. And these are, are others who have been affected by these false teachers. And just a few words on this. There's three types of people mentioned here. There's doubters, there's deserters, and there's defeated. The doubters are those that uh, have heard the false teaching and started to question Right? And, and, and Jude says, you don't hammer the doubters. You don't belittle the doubters. No, you show mercy to them. Right? The, only way, the only reason you're not doubting is because the work of the Holy Spirit has enlightened you to these things. Right? You need to have mercy with the doubters right? and try to understand where they're coming from and try to bring them back to the, to the truth through the scriptures. The deserters are those that have already started to walk away. And the picture it gives us is to rescue them, right? To snatch them out of the fire, which is a common picture in the Old Testament when it talked about Israel being saved from judgment. Right? We are not to, if somebody starts walking out the door, we don't say good riddance. Right? We go after them. Right? We pursue them with love and grace and mercy. Right? Haven't we seen the, the, the fruit of that in our own body? And then finally, to the defeated, these are those that, that have already committed themselves to a, a sinful lifestyle that probably have already been removed from the church. Again, we don't just write them off. It says we still show them mercy. We, we don't give up on them. We pray for them. But with fear, right, we don't, we don't just minimize their sin or, or let them back in the church and say, hey, we're all sinners. And, and we don't do it so callous or, or, or carelessly that that we, we end up stumbling into their sin ourselves. There's fear, there's caution here, but we still show them mercy. Recognizing our own weakness in the flesh. So hold fast to what you've been taught. Hold fast to the promises you have been given and contend for the faith. And I want to end here with this amazing doxology because what Jude does not want us to see here, he doesn't want us to get all fired up about you know, this rallying cry of remember the teachings of the apostles and, and all these, these exhortations he's giving us and we're just going to go out there and try harder. It, there's, there's, there's some beautiful symmetry in, in the book of Jude and we see it again here at the end. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Remember where we started in June? So, so in the middle, you have this, this, this strong exhortation, exhortation, keep yourselves in the love of God. Remember where he started in verse 1? You are being kept for Christ Jesus. You see where he ends in verse 24? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You, you, see, the, you see the mystery there of divine and human activity? This mystery we find all through the, the scriptures, all through the New Testament. We see it in salvation. We see it in evangelism. We see it in prayer. We see it in sanctification. This, this great mystery of we're responsible to contend for the faith. We're responsible to keep ourselves in the love of God. But the only way we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God is because he is the one that can keep us from stumbling. He is the one who has kept us for Christ Jesus. Man, that's a, there's, there's this, this, um, this idea in Christian doctrine of perseverance, which I think is largely misunderstood. Perseverance says this, 
If you are a true believer, if you are born of God, you will persevere to the end. You will not give up on God. You will not abandon the faith. But man, underlying that, even more important is, if you persevere to the end, it's because you were born of God. It's because he didn't give up on you. He perseveres. We, this is another, another piece of providence in this service. Toby didn't know the, the title of the message this morning, Hold Fast. He had already picked out the, the song that we would be singing leaning into this message. He will hold me fast. The only way I can hold fast is because he is holding me fast. When I, when I think about that, I think, you ever seen a, a picture of a newborn baby and, and it's a picture of their, that their tiny little hand, uh, and it's usually in the, in the dad's hand, right, where it's this tiny little hand, and you got dad's big, strong hand. And some, sometimes it's like holding on to a finger or something. That, that's the way I, I, I see this in my own experience. My, my, my weak, frail, sinful, failing grasp, I'm trying to hold fast to, to my faith, to my Savior, right? But, but the, the picture is that I can hold fast because he is holding me fast. And, and Jesus said, no one, not even you, can take yourself out of the Father's hand. You will persevere to the end because he's persevering in you. You will keep yourself in the love of God because he is the one keeping you from failing, do you see why this is so fitting for a commissioning service? Hold fast, but know that the only way you will hold fast is because he is holding you fast. Never forget that. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you never give up on us. grateful that you have not left us to, to fight alone. You've given us your word, the eternal truths of your word. You have given us the eternal promises of your word. We hold fast to those, but we know that it is only because you are holding fast to us and we rest in that. We ask that you would change us and challenge us and convict us and comfort us and strengthen us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.